So first and foremost, I think the the addition of pant leggings is really when you start to see your heroes get watered down. Can't even muster the ability to play straight pants that one. Uh, which is a good argument for absolute rulers. Everybody is going to get behind me. They're going to love me, and my support numbers will go through. When you hang out with the hero, it doesn't go well for you. My grandfather yeah. took the cop and just slid it right through the bar. Okay. And that became the dominant way our family did it. Okay. And so, <laughs> in both of my marriages, they were treated to that. Okay, wait, hold on. Yeah, rage haiku. How do you imagine the rubber chicken My grandmother actually vacuumed in her pearls. Oh my god, it all makes sense. We've had the sexual revolution. It yeah. might have just been a Canadian standoff. We're gonna go back to 9 11. Dude, get over it. Mm-hmm. Nobody understands what the rights are supposed to be. Agra has no <laughs> business being that thick. <laughs> With the cultists, win, we all win. Geek History of Time, where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher here in Northern California and a very, very big fan of old school science fiction, uh, exemplified by our topic uh, last episode and this one, uh, Robert A. Heinlein. Uh, Who are you? I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin teacher up here in Northern California. I am not a huge fan of science fiction, or I was just never fully exposed to it. Uh, Reading wasn't a thing I did from about fifth grade till my first year of junior college. And okay, yeah, I just I got by on being smart and knowing how to synopsize based on you know ideas uh, and and take part in a discussion in a Mm. way that you choose your entry point. So the teacher thinks I've already talked to him. I can call on other people now. Nice. So yes, I right. I smarted my way into being dumb. Is really <laughs> really what I did. Well, you lazied your way. I did. Into I being did. dumb. It was it was you were you were smart enough. You, you were a different brand of the same problem mm-hmm. I had, which was you were smart enough that that you could you could just be like, well, you know, I don't really actually have to do a whole the reading. Oh no, I didn't. I yeah. I read maybe a total <clears throat> of four books from fifth to twelfth grade. Wow. Like all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Know? No, I understand. Uh, but for the, if for you the nerd that you are now, that's really quite remarkable. Well, when I was 19, my dad handed me that book right there by Timothy Zahn, the heir to the empire. Uh... And now you see that bookshelf. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that got me back into reading fic- or nonfiction as well, okay. which is most of like, if you look at the bookshelf I have downstairs, that's, that's or... most of what you read. Exactly. Most of the time. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah. It's, or any of the books, behind you in those shelves so and then you see the bookshelf at my school you know i yeah i've got lots and lots of books that i read have read yes you've more than caught up but i never got into fiction okay i never got into sci-fi so i have a giant giant gaping blind spot uh which i'm i'm loving this podcast because i'm learning all kinds of stuff about books i never have and still may never read but (laughs) <laughs> At least I'll be conversant with them, and again, I can smart way my yeah, way into smart staying your way dumb through conversations yeah. about them in the future. Yeah. Like, well, I think the Highline was more of a military apologist, more so oh, than you know. Well and, put, and well I mean, done. really, if you think well about done. his his approach towards citizenship in Starship Troopers, um, I mean, it's not nearly as well written as uh, Earth has green fields or we walk dogs. Um, 
I know. We, See, okay, we, we yeah, dumbing right. my way through. Yeah, being okay, smart. yeah, yeah, uh, that works. But we also walk dogs. See, yeah, that one. Uh, you know, I I remember I read an earlier version, and it oh, was oh, released. Yeah, it was. Well, it was what it was. Was it was an anthology that was released through a series of early science fiction magazines. Now uh, that was a thing okay. in the 1950s. Nice, because they graduated from pulp. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I I see now. <laughs> you see how how you managed yeah. to get through <laughs> all of high school. high school. Yes. Yeah. All yes. right. Nicely done. <laughs> I just tested real well. So, um, yeah. So, so we are, we are expanding your, your genre education. Um, this is, this is part one of undoubtedly a series, um, helping Damien bullshit, helping, helping, helping Damien bullshit his way through convention (laughs) cocktail parties. Yes. Uh, we are changing you... the title of this podcast to Enabling Damien for the next 100 episodes. <laughs> so it'll be good. It'll be good. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. All right. So um, for for those of you who you know have actually had a week between last episode and this one, uh, just to recap very quickly, um, but I spent last episode uh, introducing Damien to the book Starship Troopers and talking about the historical context in which it was written mm-hmm. and kind of where Heinlein lands politically on the spectrum of science fiction authors, which mm-hmm. is to say right of center, horny libertarian, not a tanky, not an authoritarian by any stretch of the imagination. Not a John Milius <clears throat> rightist. No. Right. No. Yeah no i can't like even after that bumper i'm hesitant to use the word no too many times in a row but i can't find another word to use except no with a lot of vehemence behind it oh you know here's john milius is a really special fucking case yeah he is he really is like yeah, what I added to the script was mostly a lot of guns. Yeah, and some tits. And <laughs> guns and tits. See, that's if he was who, writing who fiction novels in the fifties, that oh, would yeah. have been the title: "Guns and Tits." Guns and Tits. Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. He. Oh my God. So, well, given that we're doing Heinlein, the way that yes. you can uh, negate me is instead yeah. of saying no, no, uh, is <laughs> is to say nine. There you go. It's the Heinlein that'll, nine. That'll, yeah. There you go. So, uh, that's that's the the super short synopsis of, sure. of what we were talking about last week, and you know the the underlying statement mm-hmm. there under all of that under my semi apology for for Heinlein mm-hmm. is of course as we've always said authorial intent means jack shit right or variations on that <laughs> there. Authorial intent means nothing once the book actually gets out into the world, once the movie is viewed by people. Mm-hmm. What you meant to do with it... Compared to what happened with it. Compares, compared to how people run with it, how people interpret it, you know... I'm curious, who do you think the most iconic example of authorial intent doesn't mean shit? Who do you think... Like, of all the people in, throughout history, who do you think authorial intent doesn't mean shit? Would would really just be like the most? Yeshua would have been Yosef Al Nazareth. Okay, I was gonna say Oppenheimer. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm not sure which is more. Yeah. Uh, well, no. Like, well, you know, yeah, yeah. Go to a go to a yeah. Southern Baptist church today. And, yeah, yeah. I'll just say. 
Like, you know, and I'm, I'm painting with a, with a very broad, sadly, very broad brush. Cause I know there are plenty of, you know, very good progressive people who are Southern Baptist. Baptists. Yeah. Oh, um, cool. you know, there, there's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, sect with, with, an awful lot of schisms gotcha. and an awful gotcha. lot of awful lot of uh, pastoral sounds very kind of southern independence. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, what it is, <laughs> what it is, it's very much descended from the Scots, right? You know, <laughs> uh, which we've also talked about in historical context before. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you! I'm going over here. Yeah. I'm, I'm not answering to you. You, you can't tell me shit. You're no, the valley folk. Yeah. Right then, I'm leaving. You're a bunch of you're a, you're arsed. I'm out. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm gone. Uh, I didn't answer to you, you tyrants. <laughs> you know. Um, so anyway, back to Heinlein. Yeah. Uh, so he wrote the book. Yes. In 59. Yes. Height of the Cold. Well, rising tension in the Cold mm-hmm, War. Mm-hmm. Height of the Cold War is 30, 20 plus years later. You think that's the, that's interesting. 80s. I, I, I really do think, okay. I really do think that the Reagan administration mm-hmm. on a, on a couple of levels mm-hmm. was, was a, was truly, if shit had gone sideways, mm-hmm. I really genuinely think that would have been the point where no, 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 there won't be the day after because okay. the arsenals were so massive. Okay. Okay. I could see that. And, and, you there know, there was no adult in the room. There, there was no adult okay. in the room. Cause um, I was going to say that the, to me, it would be 62. Okay. In October. See. Well, yeah. You know, cause <clears throat> we got the closest. Oh yeah. Well, that's, that's where the brinksmanship certainly got most intense. Right. That's where we got closest to buttons actually being pushed. Right. Historically. Right. But I think at that point, the scale of what would have happened, wouldn't have killed all of humanity. Wouldn't have absolutely okay. destroyed the entire okay, planet. Okay, I could by, see that. By Reagan, you know, we have a missile gap. We gotta, we need more warheads. Right. You know, had been a thing, you know, I mean, Reagan pushed it farther, but it right, had been a right. thing for 15, 20 years by that point. And so, I mean, we both, both sides had arsenals sure. massive enough to just reduce the planet to a bloody cinder. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and also, I, I have a certain presentist kind of kind of issue with it because that's you know when what you I grew remember, up. Remember, yeah, sure. You know, and I'm sure my my father and my mother would look at me and be like, "You have you sweet summer child, you have no fucking clue." I, I can guarantee you that when you my know. dad hears this, I'm going to get a text. <laughs> oh yeah, no. uh, of of uh, Damien, we were we were under desks. Yeah, no, and, and in third my, grade. Yeah, no, yeah, my dad yeah, and your mom same, having, same thing. My root, having nightmares, having nightmares, yeah, the reds, yeah. yeah. No, okay. I know, I understand, but. You know, my, my, and, and I, I totally agree that that is an interpretation, but mm-hmm. mine is the Reagan okay. administration was, was, it was, it was the point where the water got right up to the edge of the dam in terms of the ability of both okay. sides to destroy all life on the planet. And then, and also the willingness maybe, and, 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 and okay. the willingness. I, I genuinely think mm-hmm. there were people in the Reagan administration who then went on to serve in both Bush administrations afterwards. Yeah. Who would have been like totally fine with, all right, hit it. Yeah. You know, and, and we had to destroy civilization to we, save it. Yeah. We never wound up in a, 
confrontational situation during those years right. that put us on the brink of the trigger being pulled. Okay. But I think had we, mm-hmm. I think the psychological threshold for people in leadership positions was a lot lower. I see. Okay. For pushing that button. Okay. So uh, to, to just uh, see if I can uh, fuck this pig a different way. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> Lovely phrase. Thank you. Lovely uh, <laughs> to see if I can figure this one out a little bit more. Uh, so... While the brink was never closer than 62, the stakes for that were not as existentially a threat. And the adults in the room on both sides, though they had people pulling at them, they both ultimately valued life more than than winning. More than ideology or more than winning. Whereas in the 80s... Nobody got closer to the brink than in 62, but people valued ideology over life and the leaders were not as, as I'm going to say stalwart and strong in their personal convictions. Um, But I would say this is before Gorbachev because I think Gorbachev is a special case. Yeah. Um, So this is, uh, I forget who preceded him. Um, oh. but it's not Brezhnev. It was the no, guy after that. After Brezhnev. Um, um, but big bushy eyebrows guy. Br- that was Brezhnev. Oh, you're right. You're right. Brezhnev. There was, there was a guy in between the two. Brezhnev yeah. was the one with caterpillars on yeah. his forehead. But anyway, so uh, yeah. they didn't get closer to the and brink. Dropov? Could have been. They didn't get closer to the I brink. Yuri and Dropov. Okay. They didn't get closer to the brink, uh, or they didn't get as close to the brink. But had they gotten there, it would have been a done deal. Yeah. Okay. I'm and and. At that level, had it been a done deal, we would all be dust. Yeah. Okay. I. Yeah. You know what? I accept that. I okay. accept that. So. Um. So the the novel is a product of mm-hmm. that that period of the Cold War when we're getting close to sixty two and the tensions between both sides mm-hmm. are really at their highest pitch. Uh, this is when. Uh, we could still potentially have won an exchange. Okay. Because the Russians had just got the H bomb a few years before this. They were, they were still not at parity with us yet. And we were now pushing uh, mutually assured destruction. And so there was this sense of, the brink getting closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, I think more of an assumption at, at that phase of the cold war, there was more of an assumption that if things turn into a shooting war, there's going to be a nuclear exchange followed by mm-hmm. a land war mm-hmm. by the eighties. I don't know. In the popular imagination, I don't think we thought that it was going to be, well, the missiles are going to fly. And then, they're going to come through the fold of gap. Right. I mean, army doctrine was written around the idea that, that this is what we're going to do when, when, and if they do come through Fulda. Uh huh. But in the popular imagination, it was just, no, we're going to launch missiles at each other and, and cities are going to burn, mm-hmm. you know, and starship troopers is definitely written from the point of view of land of, invasions of their being yeah. boots on the ground, grunts yep. Yep. fighting against this, Horde of faceless communist, I mean, bug, you know, aggressors. Right. And so I think the book needs to be viewed in that context. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, 
So that's 59. Mm-hmm. Mylon writes the book. It turns into a seminal work within the genre. Mm-hmm. As I pointed out, there's a whole subgenre of science fiction that probably would have come about, but we wouldn't have seen it the same way. Right. Um, I would argue, and I mean, this isn't something I'm willing to like, you know, kill somebody on a hill over, but I think it's something that we could argue about that um, the the shape of military science fiction would not be what it is without Starship Troopers. Okay. That everything in the same way that Adam West's Batman is the Batman that all of the others the, are in or, some way. Yeah. Everything after that is a reaction to it. Right. Uh, the Forever War by by Joe Haldeman. Um, Halo is the other example. I right, used. right. You know, all of these military science fiction stories that we have are one way or another, a response to Starship Troopers. Hammer Slammers was the other one mm-hmm. um, that I thought of. Hammer Slammers was specifically a Vietnam vet okay, using science fiction to write about his experiences okay. in the jungle. And like the whole oeuvre, the whole, the whole language that he uses, the tropes uh-huh. that, that wind up, that, that are in all of that, mm-hmm. we see in starship troopers in their in their nascent form okay so i mean it's it's this hugely important work yeah it's this hugely popular work because on top of everything else that it is it's a pretty good adventure story mm. it's it's a fun action adventure you know coming of age story you know rah rah right you know, fight right. monsters win the glory save the world you know save humanity it's accessible you know yeah yeah it's, it's very accessible uh, and it's on the recommended reading list for uh, the Marine Corps, which is unsurprising. <sighs> no kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think multiple military academies. Sure. Also. Sure. Um, okay. Now, and this is again, I, I point to the Annapolis connection. Yeah. Because you've got him, you've got uh, William Appleman Williams. Yes. Um, both are uh, just, I mean, at least in their early years at the at the uh, academy. Uh, I believe they were first-class seamen. Um, and when you have first-class seamen, you can have seminal work. Nice. Thank you. Thank nice. you. Uh, 16, you're slipping. I didn't even spend multiple minutes talking about my job and your... your that's, yeah, that's on me. Yeah, all that right. That is on me. Yeah. So... so And he did do his writing of it at, at Florida State University. So that also makes sense. Holes. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I'm not... I'm, Moving on. So you know the bathrooms there. If you want to make some extra money, uh, there's there's uh, places <clears> where you can earn glory. Um, and yeah, the first gonna, person to just, start I'm that moving, is a seminal seminal semen hole. Yeah, we're for, moving, no? Okay. moving on. No, just no. So, <laughs> uh, so thirty years, twenty eight years uh-huh. go by, uh-huh. and in 1997, the movie. Yes. Of Starship Troopers. Yes. Comes out in theaters. Um, and it didn't do very well. It was it was panned by critics. Yep. It was yep. I won't go so far as to say it was a flop, but it was not exactly a runaway success. It was not the blockbuster that everybody was hoping it was going to be. Right. And um there there are a few reasons for mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. The really hardcore Heinlein nerds who mm-hmm. heard they're finally making a Starship Troopers movie, holy shit, yes, went and and saw stills from production uh-huh. and immediately shat all over it. 
Because Fucking number sci-fi one, fans, number man. one, Jesus sci-fi Christ. fans, number one, oh sci-fi. God. Number two, one of the central things uh-huh. in, in the novel is that Johnny Rico is a member of the Mobile Infantry. Yeah. And what makes a mobile infantryman special uh-huh. is he's not just a grunt in body armor with a rifle. He's in a suit of powered armor. Oh, yeah. That's not what happened there. That's not at all what happened in the oh, movie. Okay. Okay. Um, everybody was hoping we were going to get to see... Man tank. Yeah. Yeah. That, that we were going to get to see a mobile suit. Uh-huh, we were going to uh-huh. get to see, no, seriously, mobile infantry. And they they did some test stuff with it early mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. and found that there there the technology just didn't exist yet yeah uh to to make it not shitty yeah because i mean you had robot jocks in 91 oh boy you talk about a crap movie yeah and then and you, you talk about height of the cold war by the way. <laughs> oh my god what a steaming pile of cold war garbage that was <laughs> Uh, and then you also have uh, the third Matrix movie in 2003? Okay. No. Yeah. I think it might have been 2004. But anyway, right around then. Yeah. Um, And they actually did have mobiles by oh, that yeah. point, oh, and it looked yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, it worked. Yeah. So talk but about took, a weird gap. Yeah, it took, yeah. It took a while for okay. effects to, to get there. Mm-hmm. And so without, without the suit mm-hmm. that made each individual mobile infantryman a superhero mm-hmm. um the whole tone of the movie changed very dramatically and that's and that's uh, part of okay. what i th- i think uh-huh that's part of the reason when you say starship troopers now everybody says oh yeah no highlands fascist uh right thing. right so i've already i've already talked about you know yeah. Highland. now yeah. we're going to talk about the movie and and it came out in 97 yes and there's an awful lot of history between 59 and 97. That's true. First and foremost, by 97, the Cold War... Was over. ...has been over for half a decade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, there, we, we are no longer worried, we in the United States mm-hmm. and in you know portions of Western Europe, we are no longer worried about the Soviet monolith. Oh, there's discussion you know, of do we invite the Soviet Union or do we invite the former Soviet Union into NATO? Or do we just get rid of NATO? There was that yeah. discussion. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, you know, I mean, the, the entire world stage, the whole context mm-hmm. for anybody who picked the book up after 1992, mm-hmm. the entire context of the work Gone. is completely different. Yes. The entire context of the movie, thus, mm-hmm. is completely different because sure. we create things, as you have said repeatedly, Everything you write is a reflection of the time in the world in which you're writing. Yes, yes. And so this is between the first Iraq War mm-hmm. and 9-11. Mm-hmm. Okay, the first Iraq now, War. at a time that people didn't know it was between those things. Well, yeah, no, yeah. yes, yes. But, <laughs> yeah. but for, for us looking back with the advantage yes. of some presentism, yes. we can place it in time mm-hmm. in this period. And the thing is... If the movie had been made pre-Iraq War mm-hmm. or pre-Gulf War, okay. Kuwait War, right, right, because nowadays we see Iraq War and we think of the unending of, one. We think of yeah, yeah. Um, but if it had been made before ninety-one, mm-hmm. or if it had been made after nine-eleven, mm-hmm. would have been a completely different film. 
would have been the 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 yeah. the allegory, all of the metaphors, all everything would have been completely different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to look at the context of that era, mm-hmm. and and this movie is a reaction to Vietnam, mm-hmm. Reagan, and uh, the first Gulf War. Okay. This yeah. is my my statement on this. This okay. is my my thesis. And I'm going to talk about Vietnam first because okay. chronologically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um Vietnam was a watershed loss for the US military. Yeah. It was an institutionally damaging conflict over the course of the time that the the US was involved in combat operations in Vietnam the military as an institution, not even not, I mean, over and above the level of uh, the number of soldiers who were killed or wounded or taken prisoner over and above the amount of money and materiel was lost. The institution of the U S defense department and the individual armed services were themselves damaged by that conflict. And when you say damaged, um, I would just point out it's I don't disagree and at the same time budgets thereafter were ever on the increase oh yeah uh, the military as the solution was ever on the increase yeah I, I wish that I could get that kind of damage <laughs> yeah I wish education could get damaged that yeah way. shit yeah. I wish my personal finances could take that kind of a hit yeah no kidding you know yeah like like, Sign me up. Where's yeah. my Vietnam? Oh you yeah, know? which is awful, but yeah. Uh, but like in in yeah, terms no, of your that point, your point is meaningful. Yeah, and at the same time, like you're not wrong about it. It did damage everything. It it shook our faith in it, and maybe that's it. It shook our connection as a society to our military. Yeah, and the military has now become its own thing. Its own separate yes subculture sub thing, which absolutely ties into Verhoeven's. Critique. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, jungle combat against an insurgent army mm-hmm. was a paradigmatic shift. Yes. That none of none of the uniformed services were were ready for. No. And it left the whole structure of the military demoralized mm-hmm. and conflicted. There is. A whole we don't we don't teach about this mm-hmm. it's, or it's not part of the standard curriculum in high school when mm-hmm. we teach Vietnam. It's not part of the textbooks. It's not included in the textbooks. But there was a GI anti-war movement, mm-hmm. and not only that, but the unrelenting pace of combat operations and right. the social issues that were underlying mm-hmm. all of that. Uh, in our own society at the time uh, came up in ways that wound up severely damaging morale and, and caused uh, a huge amount of damage to oh, yeah. the, the uh, uh, what's the word? prestige is the word that comes to mind, but it's wrong. But the, the, the legitimacy mm-hmm. of military leadership, yes, within the, like within the military, yeah. the, the rank and file soldiers, lost 
it's not just the public lost faith in the military. Right. Rank and file soldiers lost faith in their leadership. Yes. And a big, a big part of the, the trouble that they ran into was the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, it was young men mm-hmm. getting pulled into the military to fight in a war that was amongst Un- their demographic. Yeah. It was unwinnable mm-hmm. the way, the way it was trying to be pursued. It was, it was not a winnable conflict. It was on the other side of the planet against a bunch of people that like, why do I, what did they do to me? Right. Well, communism, son. Why do I care? Right. Right. Um, and, and, and then on top of that, um, well, I mean, yeah, that's basically it. I had a thought and it got a little, well, yeah, to to back up what you're saying, uh, the amount of fraggings that happened in Vietnam was in the thousands. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, (laughs) and notable cases, uh, of, of the GI anti-war movement, Mm -hmm. uh, or the Fort Hood three in 1966. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, three soldiers who just said, I, yeah, I'm not going to Indochina. Right. No, <laughs> I'm refusing it. Yes, it's a lawful order. I'm refusing it anyway. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, the Presidio Mutiny in 1968, yeah. which was a similar kind of situation. And I'm going to mention this here, even though it's a little bit different. There mm-hmm. was the Kitty Hawk riot in October of 1972. That one I don't know. Yeah, you don't. You should. Okay. <laughs> we all should. Uh, my father has very vivid memories of this one because oh. he, I'm, I don't remember whether he was on the Kitty Hawk at the time or if he was in the fleet on another carrier with the Kitty Hawk. At Wait, the time. so this is on a ship? Yes. This oh. is not Kitty Hawk Carolina. This is the aircraft carrier USS Kitty Hawk. Okay. Which my father did serve on. Mm-hmm. He did. He did more than one cruise on the Kitty Hawk. But I don't remember whether whether he was there in 72, but he does remember being proximate if he wasn't on the ship. Right. He was nearby. Mm-hmm. He has very vivid memories of it. And now the deal is this was a race riot. The U.S. Navy uh-huh. up until the 1970s uh, had a very, very, very small percentage of mm-hmm. black sailors yes the leadership of the navy was culturally very southern Mm -hmm. very white anglo-saxon protestant and the racial dynamics of the navy were largely uh mostly white officers or white uh, almost universally white officers mostly Mm -hmm. nearly all white sailors right with support crew who were primarily filipino right because of Subic Bay and and, mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. Navy just being the service that most of most of them gravitated toward. Sure. Um, and then in the '60s during the Vietnam War, um, they basically they they drafted more black young men into mm-hmm. the Navy, mm-hmm. uh, and Navy was compared to the Army considered a a relatively safe birth or a relatively yes. safe place to go if yeah. you got drafted i want the navy uh-huh because uh-huh. you know i'm not going to be in the jungle getting shot at but black sailors wound up being put in the most grueling ugliest right. most dangerous jobs on the ship the majority of black sailors aboard the kitty hawk were on the deck crew 
Okay. Which on an aircraft carrier mm-hmm. is the loudest, mm. most dangerous place to be mm-hmm. because there are jet aircraft spooling up, needing to be armed. You got to put ordnance on them right. to get them to go fly out to drop bombs on people. Right. So that's a really dangerous set of jobs. Sure. And so there were racial tensions already because of the Navy's up to that point abysmal kind of racial dynamics. Yeah. Um, and anyway, there there was a race riot aboard the Kitty Hawk, which wow. led to uh, a huge effort within the Navy to try to fix those problems. Good. And your your opinion of those efforts will of course be colored by your own upbringing, your own experiences prior to that and, mm-hmm. and what have you. Uh, my, my dad thought a lot of it was uh, touchy feely bullshit. Um, but then my father also grew up in South Florida in the forties and into the fifties. So, you know, product of your environment. Right. Um, and you know, my dad has just not ever been a very touchy feely person. And they, they did, they did a very seventies kind of, you know, right. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to have an encounter session, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, the story my dad, my dad tells about this is, you know, they'd call a sailor in and they'd have officers, you know, they'd have a group of officers in the room and the officers were supposed to put their names down on the name tag. <laughs> and this is, this is so much my dad. You know, the other guys wrote, you know, Joe or Bob or whatever. Mm-hmm. My dad wrote down Lieutenant Blaylock. And the and the 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 counselor, psychologist, mm-hmm. whatever you want, psychiatrist, whoever it was who was who was run civilian contractor who was running the session said to him, No, no, your name. Mm-hmm. And my dad's response and and this informs, I will admit, this informs my own way of occasionally talking to my students. My dad's response was that is my name. Right. I am Lieutenant Blaylock. I, I worked to earn that title. Right. And this is the military. Right. Right. You know, my, my own my own thing, you know, kids ask me, well, what's your name? Mr. Like, Mr. Blaylock. I also accept sir. Mm-hmm. Well, no, but like, what's your real name? That is my real name. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. You know, you know, it's a different context, of course, but, you know, I am my father's kid. So... But uh, so so these are the kinds of issues that were going on throughout the military. Sure. Uh, You know, there are there are stories of, you know, in Vietnam, on the ground in Vietnam of of racial tensions Mm -hmm. in in rear echelon positions. Interestingly, on on the front lines, you don't see this stuff. But then back at, you know, battalion headquarters, guys Mm -hmm. would run up Confederate flags. Yeah. And all that kind of kind of shit. Yeah. You know, and and so you know, these... it can lose over there too. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and so all of this led to mm-hmm. a huge overhaul after after Vietnam. Uh-huh. The, the the entire structure of recruitment mm-hmm. and and service in the military was completely restructured. Leadership of the army mm-hmm. actually went to the White House and went to Congress and said, "We got to get rid of the fucking draft." Because cause the guys we're getting don't want to be there. <laughs> and our morale problem could not be worse. Right. Uh, you know, conscription is not working. Right. We need to move to an all-volunteer force. And so in 73, that that happened. The, the, the draft got 
scrapped. Right, right. And and the military switched, shifted to an all-volunteer force. I think it's interesting that uh, when you start, because the draft had two phases during the Vietnam War, too. Uh, there was the draft, and then there was the lottery. Yeah. And the lottery was, okay, now that rich parents are losing their kids, we got to stop this. Mm-hmm. Right? So you got that aspect to it. But also... I do think it's interesting that the the um, <coughs> pardon me the uh, military um, goes to the White House and says we have to stop the draft because the people we're getting are are no longer wanting to be a part of this. At no time prior to that would the military have justifiably been able to say so, because at no time prior to that did you have such a disconnect from the population. And the idea of the uh, the 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 their responsibility to the government in exchange for the government's responsibility to them, and what yeah. I really find interesting there is you actually have a more responsive government at this point. You have a welfare state on oh, some yeah. levels at this point, and you have a greater diversity of the electorate at this point. At this point, you also have eighteen-year-olds getting to vote. Yeah, like you have. More mm-hmm. rights, a more responsive government, and at the exact same time, you found some way to fuck it up where instead of <laughs> involving In, everybody instead, now, yeah. like, like it, here's the thing. we This proves Heinlein's uh, idea wrong, that if you give people more of a stake in what's going on, if you have spent all that time, like, shitting where you eat... <laughs> They're not gonna want to. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. You well, know, yeah. Serve. No, of course. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and and the legitimacy issue of like, oh yeah, we're gonna go to Vietnam. Why? Well, because communism. Now I need something better than that. Well, why do you need something better than that? Well, I went to college. See. Um, <laughs> well, I don't care if you went to college. We're going because communism. Fuck your your parents did this. Well, my parents didn't go to college. They they actually did this so they could go to go college, to college. And, you know and it's... and you know and and my my dad's older brother uh-huh. uh, went to europe to fight nazis right because nazis were literally like killing people for not being aryan right and they were trying to take over the fucking world right so so there's a different reason there explain to me yeah you know how and... how, how are the viet cong doing that please yeah. please tell me yeah. Uh, and it, well, we you know you just get in there and do it. Well, the okay, Viet I'm gonna get in there. London, but, right? Like you know, you know what? I don't, I don't understand is, here. <laughs> they want to, they want, you they know, wanna, they, they just, they just want to, want to farm yeah. on their own land and like not. Hey, have here, us here's here's a it. note from the North Vietnamese Army. It turns out it's the the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Uh. So yeah. you know, and like there's there's yeah. like so much going on didn't, there. Didn't our CIA actually back this guy? Right. You know. You know no, that was the no, OSS. Well, so. Oh yeah. Yeah. Our CIA is against it. Yeah. CIA is different. <laughs> different animal. Yeah. It's literally led by the same people. It's different. Different literally, spelling. It's why it's spelled different. Sorry. No. You're bullshitting me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And and so um the the prestige of the military, mm-hmm. public, uh trust in the military. The willingness to put down what you're doing and then go serve. Yeah. Is is, is gone. Is not there. Yeah, because it's not there. Because there's no you can you can say, okay, the Soviets mm-hmm. were scared of the Russians. Mm-hmm. 
we're still scared of the Russians. The Russians, you know, by the seventies, mm-hmm. when, when we have this shift to an all volunteer force, the, the level of perceived immediate threat mm-hmm. isn't there. Right. For, for most 18 year olds in the fifties, when 18 year olds in between 51 and 54, when they were being sent off to Korea. Okay. No, no, the, the Russians have gotten the H bomb. We got it. You know, there was, there was a sense of immediacy. There was, and there wasn't like it, it, that I think was the first chipping away at it. Oh yeah. No, this doesn't make sense, but I still trust. Yeah. And that was the end of it. Like you, you spent it wrong. Yeah. You spent it wrong. You used that capital in the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the public's connection to the military, public's trust in the military, Mm -hmm. uh, dipped below 50%. Yeah. And then very gradually it climbed back out of that hole as time went on. Mm -hmm. Uh, people do love a war. Yeah. Well, it climbed dramatically under Reagan Mm -hmm. because Reagan got elected in large part as a response to our psychological, you know, malaise. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, telling us how great we were and, you know, support our vets. Yeah. Rah, rah, you know, that's where we first start hearing that. True. It, 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 it's, which is funny because he's the one who closed down a lot of the care facilities in California. Well, yeah, because you don't want to have so, socialism. No. You know, come no. on. We don't but, want to wind up becoming like the yes. Soviets. Yeah. But support our, yeah. So. I, and he, didn't he invade Grenada? He did. Which basically fixed Vietnam for us. So good stuff. Yeah. I, you know, at the time, because mm-hmm. let's see, Grenada was 83. Three. Yeah. I was eight. I was living in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And, or no, actually it was before, it was, it was, no, it was right as we moved. We had just arrived. And I remember watching this whole thing about, you know, invading Grenada and, and I, nobody was ever able to explain to me right as an eight year old, right. Convincingly like, why is this a big deal? Like the rat, I, I wasn't old enough or sophisticated enough to understand the, the political ramification. None of that. Mm-hmm. Like nobody could explain to me, like, why are we so excited about this? Right. It's cause we can win Vietnam. Now. This is, this is, this is an island in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Nobody was able to explain the context. Well, you know, son, see, we had this conflict that we lost and it was hugely damaging to our psyche. So now this, this, you know, invasion of a Caribbean island to rescue some medical students because there's been a coup. Right. And the Cubans are involved, which means the Soviets have to be involved. I mean, it's like whole like thing didn't register for me. Now I, I am mm-hmm. Facebook friends with a Marine veteran who was actually involved in Grenada. Uh huh. So he has very vivid personal memories of that sure. whole operation. And you know, but the, the geopolitical importance of it is not something that st- still to this day, like, yeah. and, and I don't, and, and, and I think, <clears throat> pardon me. I think there was, there was an outpouring of yay, we won. Mm-hmm. And I don't think 
there was, I don't remember. I'll put it that way. I don't remember there being any overt recognition of mention of Vietnam in it, but it was, there wasn't, we had this military operation and we won and, and there was a Henry V at Agincourt effect. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, hail the conquering heroes and all this. Because it was a short, victorious yeah, yeah, war, yeah. which is what every leader in every state wants, if he can get one, or mm-hmm, she can mm-hmm. get one. And so... <laughs> Are you mentioning Margaret Thatcher again? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Falklands! <clears throat> um... And so, so the 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 respect that Americans had and the trust Americans had in mm. the institution of the military, right, rose dramatically under Reagan, mm-hmm. dipped a little bit, and then spiked again dramatically right around ninety one, ninety two, mm-hmm. because of the Gulf War, right. Okay, and so this this rising reactionary pro-military outlook because it was like well we got Mm anti-military and now we're gonna be more pro-military we're back baby we're back baby rambo had a second movie yeah it wasn't just about like being shitty to veterans yeah now it's actually about fixing vietnam american hegemony on the world stage yeah and so he had a third movie where he helped the Taliban. Yeah, freedom right. fighters. Freedom fighters, Taliban. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, there's no way that could ever come back to bite us in the ass. Never. And so Paul Verhoeven, in 1996, um, gets a gets gets a script for Starship Troopers from uh, Ed Newmeyer, who was a writer he'd worked with, who had worked with him on RoboCop. He'd been one of the writers for that. That is a good one. Yeah. And um, so Verhoeven's whole outlook, you got to remember Verhoeven uh, was born in 48. Okay. Verhoeven is Dutch. Oh. Dutch and born in 48. Yeah. Ooh. So his entire outlook yeah. on the institution of the military is going to be very different from an American yes. context. Yes. Just to begin with. Yes. Uh, because he he grew up in the real, no kidding, aftermath of World War II. Yeah. Okay. And so he saw what militarism and rah, mm-hmm. rah, go us, you know, nationalism run rampant. He, mm-hmm. he, he is of the generation that grew up in the ruins and the rebuilding mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. that kind of fallout. I'm sorry, he was born in 38. 38, okay. So he so he was old enough to remember the war. Right. I'm off by a decade right. again, just like it was with Berlin Airlift left episode. <laughs> no, he was born in 38. If he was 48, okay. he'd be okay. younger than my folks. Yeah. Uh, but he was born in 38, so he witnessed the war, which just yeah. even more goes to my point. Yes. Um, and then he was coming of age of reason at a time where Europe was going to be the thing over which America and Russia fought and watching and our would kill them all yeah and watching our involvement in Korea and then in Vietnam right from that lens as but also seeing the Dutch empire completely dis- disintegrate yes, seeing yes yeah. seeing yeah all of all of their mm-hmm. you know holdings gain their independence and everything you know uh, so his his outlook on empire, his outlook on militarism, his outlook on all these things, mm-hmm. 
would be dramatically different, which also means his opinion of Heinlein's novel. Well, it's going to read different. Yeah. Well, here's, here's his own statement. I stopped after two chapters because it was so boring. (laughs) It is really quite a bad book. I asked Ed Neumeyer to tell me the story because I just couldn't read the thing. (laughs) It's a very right wing book. Now we've talked about the Mm -hmm. fact that our Overton window in this country is fucked compared mm-hmm. to the rest of the world. Yeah. And and it's not just Europe. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. We are by default a more right-wing leaning yeah. culture. What, what to us is, well, that socialism is slightly right of center. Yes. <laughs> yes. In, in Germany and, and other places in Europe. Yeah. Like until you actually start talking about no no we need to nationalize industry mm-hmm. we need to com- we need to centrally control right. everything in the economy until you start talking that way you're not a leftist in any other part of the world mm-hmm. to to them our democratic party is well there are moderate right wingers yeah so our right wingers are. Nazis yes. are just shy of, yeah, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and nowadays, of course, our real right-wingers are often actually Nazis. Yes, they are. Um, and so so his, his outlook mm-hmm. on this book that was written by a U.S. military veteran during the Cold War right. as an allegory for you yeah. know, us versus the Soviet monolith, <laughs> there's... There's a completely different kind of paradigm yeah. behind his view of it. Mm-hmm. And so um, in that same interview, this is, this is him talking about the movie in 2005 in an interview with Empire Magazine. He went on in the same interview to say, and with the movie we tried, and mm-hmm. I think at least partially succeeded, in commenting on that at the same time. It would be eat your cake and have it. All the way through, we were fighting with the fascism, the ultra-militarism. All the way through, I wanted the audience to be asking, are these people crazy? Hmm, that's interesting. So now, here's the deal. The novel was not a satire. Right. The movie... 100% was. From its very... From the first moment he looked at the script. And now, here's the deal. I don't think Mm Neumeier... Because Neumeier has now written multiple sequels. Mm Mm-hmm. Two of the original Starship Troopers. All of Verhoeven. which I've watched. Okay. <laughs> and and none of them were theatrically released. No. But But he's he's released these multiple films. Mm-hmm. He himself is on the record as being a huge fan of the novel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say when he wrote the script, he didn't write it initially as a satire. Then Verhoeven took a look at it and went, Oh, this is clearly satire. This is fucking nut bar. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, if we're going to do it, let's lean in. Yep. And now mm-hmm. we have a movie mm-hmm. uh, where it is a reaction to mm-hmm. somebody who who is not an American mm-hmm. viewing our own seesawing relationship to our own military. Uh-huh. After not only the the nadir of post Vietnam, but mm-hmm. then Grenada, we won. Right, we're back. Right, followed by the first Gulf War. Right, which was again a short victorious war. 
I clearly saw in the first Gulf War more mm-hmm. of the, well, you know, this is making up in our national psyche for Vietnam. Yes. Um, and there was overt reference to the experience of Vietnam veterans when we, when, when we as a nation, when we as the, you know, the, the overarching dominant culture of our nation was talking about, mm-hmm. you know, how we're going to treat soldiers when they come back from this. Right. Um, even the anti-war folks for the full first Gulf war were being really careful. Yeah. To, to frame everything in a way of like, no, no, we are, we are pro soldier. We are pro troops. We, we mm-hmm. are for the troops. Mm-hmm. We want to bring them all home. We don't want them over right. in the desert. Right. You know, um, and, and the, the anger did not get pointed at the army. Right. The way it had during like the institution of the military. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, I'm pro the soldiers. So I'm just actually not even going to get anywhere near like Norman Schwarzkopf did not get satirized by anti-war people. No, he didn't. You know, because <clears throat> he's a general, so he's not a grunt, but he's still, he's a soldier. So we're not going to pick on him. Right. We're going to, we're going to be angry at the Bush administration. We're going to mm-hmm, be angry mm-hmm. at Rumsfeld, all, you know, Cheney, all these other guys. <laughs> then went on in the second Bush administration. In the same country. Again. Yeah. yeah. Um, because unfinished business, one of them left his phylactery there and they had to recapture. <laughs> I don't know. You know, Cheney's a lich. Come on. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. seriously. Um, so in any event, I'm uh, getting off the subject, but you know, they, they, the, the conversation in our country was framed uh in in that kind of context mm-hmm. where we're not we're not going to say anything bad about the army we're not going to say anything bad about the air force the navy those institutions we can't mess with well and and a lot of that had to do with the the propagandism that that bush had learned from vietnam yeah like he started off by saying this will not be another vietnam yes so there's that uh, but also, they recognized the role that the press had in exposing everything. Yes. And they drastically, co-opted. yeah, co-opted and restricted. Uh, you are not going to show uh, the remains. You are not going to show the coffins. Um, although, I'm not sure if that came in the first or the second Gulf War. Second Gulf yeah, that War. That was the second. Okay. Yeah. But uh, you, we're going to give you a lot of access over here as mm-hmm. long as you don't fuck it up. Yeah. So don't go asking those weird questions. <laughs> Whereas in Vietnam, it was it was uh, the Wild West as far yeah. as reporters went. You know, they well, could because, go wherever because, they wanted. Because the the army, mm-hmm. the, the Pentagon, did not at that point have a plan for dealing with them. Right. And that's one of the things that they learned right quick, right fast. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and implemented and television. And television was a new medium mm-hmm. in the mass media in in, in Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah, and so you know they were used to. Well, you know, we got the print guys. And well, we got, and you also you had know, the fairness doctrine. Yeah, that was in place there, and you also had only three channels, and you had the uh, the fact that each channel had to provide news. Yes. Whereas in the Persian Gulf War, well, I don't want to call it that. 
because that's between Iraq and Iran, and we just kept giving weapons to both. Uh, but uh, the in the uh, the the first U.S. invasion of Iraq, um, that you had a cable news network, yeah. a twenty-four hour cable news network. Yeah, you had a twenty-four hour news cycle. Yes, you got to feed the beast. Exactly, and yeah. so that's a very very different landscape, and you don't have the fairness doctrine anymore. Well, that's a completely different paradigm. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and so Verhoeven mm-hmm. is responding mm-hmm. in his movie in 1997 to all of that. And he's, he's taking our national response to those things mm-hmm. and then ramping it up to 11 because he was born in 1938 in, in, you know, he's Dutch and yeah. born in Holland in 1938. And like, do you see? Right. Like, yeah. Like, we're the lowlands. Like, this is where shit happened. This is like, come on. Yes. D- 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 Lenny Riefenstahl? Anybody? Yeah. Like, hey, you know. And so the movie starts with start starts with Johnny Rico. Like it it, it starts out and then it rewinds, but yeah. it starts with that. And he's he's left on the battlefield screaming into the camera, which has been turned sideways. Yeah. And you see the cameraman being one of the first things attacked by the bug. Yeah. Like it is straight up like I remember that very vividly because it's like, wow, they're really, you know, putting the military and the the camera guy right in there. Yeah. And, you know, he gets, you know, just, and, and the guy gets squeezed until he bursts apart. And yeah. You're just like, oh, this is a different Holy level of things. Okay. Shit. Yeah. yeah. And the and the violence is. It's it's the old ultra violence. Yes, it's a Verhoeven movie. Yes, that's, that's what that's one of his trademarks. Yeah, sex and violence cranked up to eleven, mm-hmm. even when he's not doing satire. Yeah, um, and and so you know his his initial response to mm-hmm. the novel mm-hmm. informs the way he made the movie. Yes, informs every choice he made about it, mm-hmm. and his the resulting film mm-hmm. is is a fascist satire it is, yeah. it is a it is a it is a straight up send up of this this is this is what you all look like ladies and gentlemen to, to, mm-hmm. the, to the rest of the world mm-hmm. like funhouse mirror time hi here you are yeah and the thing is um it is it is on one level absolutely unavoidably patently obvious mm-hmm. that it's satire would you like to know more the 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 cartoony moments where you know and we're gonna so we're gonna good. we're gonna we're gonna pause the actual plot of the movie to show you no shit the propaganda newsreel right to where, to work as exposition to work as exposition mm-hmm. where we're going to have kindergartners Stomping being on, handed yeah. bullets, yes, and stomping and stomping on bugs. Do yes. your part, yeah. Like, no, no, no. We're do, we're 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 inculcating this in the yeah. littlest children. Y'all are the Nazis. Y'all y'all are the kids. Yeah. You're the toddler. Yeah, you sitting there in the chair. Mm-hmm. You're you're the toddler. Yeah. Do you get it? You're. I mean. Yeah. Like big red clown. Nose, oh yeah. You know. And, and you know they show that like and we're exploring and we're learning more and it's like yeah you take the giant chainsaw and shove it up the thing's ass you know yeah you know you know 
aim for the nerve cluster. Yeah. Like I'm eighty six percent more efficient. You yeah. Know? Like in 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 a combat situation. Yeah. Like like the people who would make that film. Uh huh. Would know this is useless advice mm-hmm. because how big is that target? Yeah, in a combat situation, like that was the first thing I thought watching the film mm-hmm. at, in that that moment where Doogie Hauser mm-hmm. with the ever growing bags under his eyes because you know psychic powers are evil uh, is is talking about this. I, I I looked at that as you know uh, having at one point been an ROTC cadet. I looked at that and went. That's ludicrous. <laughs> like, like the technical, like not just the satire is mm-hmm. over the top of crazy. The technical aspect of that is stupid. Like any infantryman, uh-huh. anybody who's ever handled a weapon in a drill. Right. Is going to be able to tell you, oh, right. Yeah. Great. In the middle of a fight mm-hmm. while I'm scared out of my mind and, you know, running for my life either toward the enemy or away. Right. You know, right. battlefield. I'm just going to aim for a target the size of a basketball mm-hmm. at 30. If, if I'm really close, 30 meters away. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, totally. I'm going to No, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold the trigger down on my rifle and pray <laughs> is what I'm going to fucking do. Sure. So, you know, and, and just like so cartoonishly over the top, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And so if your exposure to Starship Troopers is through the movie, mm-hmm. well, then, yeah, it's a fascist fucking book uh-huh. because it's based on the book, right? Yes, mm-hmm. but also no. Right. <laughs> and and that's kind of the, and, and, and that's where we get to kind of my whole my whole point sure, here. Sure. And it's not that I'm trying to necessarily defend Heinlein's point, but I think right. it's, I think it's an an important. It's a nuance lesson. that you need to strike. It, it's it's yeah. a, it's a nuance that that if you if you're going to approach the novel as a separate thing, you kind of need to you need to understand that. Mm-hmm. And and I think Heinlein was a product of his time. Mm-hmm. He had problematic ideas, but I think he does not deserve to be painted as a fascist sure when he wasn't one that wasn't that wasn't what the book was supposed to be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it's it's an easy jump from well this is a steaming pile of fascist crap to right well, obviously he's a fucking nazi right well okay in this case no right right <laughs> you know um you know robert e howard had all kinds of ideas about toxic masculinity. He yeah. was a racist. He was all this, but like we got to contextualize. Mm-hmm. We, we don't, we shouldn't be entirely wrapped up in our presentism. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying this to like defend his ideas, but right, I, I think right. our judgment of any of these writers yeah. needs to take those things into account. Sure. And Verhoeven, Clearly mm-hmm. was making a very, very potent, very, very caustic point. Vibrant point. Very, yeah. yes. And and here's the deal. Looking back on the film, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's it really is a, a masterwork of it is. 
satire. It is, it is, no, no, I'm going to take Lenny Riefenstahl and I'm going to mock the fuck out of her. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, like I'm going to, Oh, all these shots that were so incredibly iconic back when she made triumph for the will, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to point out how ridiculous is this? Right. Like, do you, do right. you understand the artifice involved in all of this? Right. Like none of this is real. All of that is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And, and coming from, his background coming from his outlook on the book and his, his Mm -hmm. everything, all of it makes perfect sense. Sure. The thing is Americans as consumers of media Mm -hmm. do not do a good job recognizing irony (laughs) or satire. True. And that movie came out and there, there were basically two, well, three distinct camps. I've I've Mm -hmm. mentioned the first camp, hardcore Heinlein fans. Mm -hmm. You don't have, you don't actually have mobile infantry in it. Fuck you. Right. It's garbage. It's, it's not the book. Fuck you. Okay. We're just going to, we're going to set them aside completely Mm -hmm. because that's a whole other artistic conversation to have. The general public, mm-hmm. in my experience, having remembered how people responded to the film, largely fell into two categories. There were people who really loved it, mm-hmm. totally unironically, rah, rah. Right. Oh, yeah, rah, because it was just after the first Gulf War. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, hoorah. And then people who were like, well, I didn't like it. I felt like it was making fun of people and I wasn't sure. Like, I don't know exactly what was going on, but it, I, I, it didn't it made me uncomfortable and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Like those were the two major camps. And then there were, there was the third group, which was mostly film nerds and, and perceptive, you know, mm-hmm. have done a lot of reading, you know, pointy headed people right. who went, well, it's a satire. And it's a remarkably well done satire, and it's not supposed to make you comfortable. That's the point, right? And and it did it real well, but that's a very small group. In my experience as yes. a viewer at the time, that was a very 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 small group of people. Mm-hmm. Most everybody either were you know Marines watching the movie straight off base, you know, mm-hmm. because it was the weekend and hoorah, you know, through the whole thing, like mm-hmm. you know, blood and guts loved it, or you know, it made me feel kind of icky and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it. And that's why it didn't wind up turning into a blockbuster because satire doesn't Doesn't that bust way. blocks, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, RoboCop, another Verhoeven film. Right. Kind of the same thing. Yep. Like, there were people who were like, yeah, robot, Police officer, superhero, blood and guts, badassery, violence, badassery. Yeah, yeah. my literal father. Mine too. Yeah. And then on the other side. Yeah. Well, it's dark and gross and hyper violent, and I just I don't I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, I don't it's want so kids watching dark. this. I don't want to. Right. Don't want, I don't want you know. Well, it's an R-rated film. Kids aren't supposed to be watching it. I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. First yeah. R-rated movie I ever saw. Oh wow. Um, and, and I had some meaningful questions about, well, okay, this scientist is supposed to kind of be a, a good guy cause he's, you know, building RoboCop. Mm-hmm. So why are we seeing him doing drugs with these women of ill repute? <laughs> like what's going on with that? And, mm-hmm. you know, had the conversation, my parents to their credit, had the conversation about, well, 
he's not really a good guy. Mm-hmm. Like he's, right. he's doing this thing that is good, but he he's not necessarily a good person. Or right. He's got this flaw, you know, and we had that conversation to their credit. Um, you know, but you know, not, not really, not a, I was not the target audience. Right. And, and the people who were the target audience for many of them, it went over their heads. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm pretty sure my dad spotted, oh yeah, this is totally satire, but like, it's It's fun. It's it's fun. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and the, the, you know, well, you know, Verhoeven's a lefty, whatever, you know, kind of, kind of take on it. Like. The satire didn't go over his head. He just right. was like, "Well, yeah, it's satire, but it's also a yeah. rock and fun movie." I don't know with Starship Troopers mm-hmm. how many of the raw rock crowd recognized that it was a satire. Yeah, well, like, and, and maybe that's my own pointy-headed nerd prejudice coming mm-hmm. out, but like that wasn't the vibe I got off of. Right. The people that I was talking to at the time who were like totally enamored of the film. I leaned in the direction of, well, yeah, I mean, it was a great action flick and all. It was fun to watch, and but it didn't have actual mobile infantry. So, like, it wasn't hmm. really Starship Troopers. Sure. was, you know, kind of my take on it at the time. Yeah, I, I found it an incredibly entertaining movie. And I remember specifically talking to a friend of mine about how entertaining it was. She's like, wow. It was all about, like, glorifying fascism. And I was like, how? I mean, yes, you had the stupid uniform that Doogie Howser wore. But beyond that, and she's like, and then she just started listing things. I'm like, I'm going to go see it again. Then I went and saw it again. And remember, it was 97, so I just started reading again. Oh, yeah. Uh, And then I was like, you know, (laughs) okay, I'm starting to see this. And then I liked it all the more. Uh, Because it's one of the first movies that I truly pulled a ton of symbolism from. For instance... Every adult who advises Johnny Rico is crippled. They are scarred and or crippled. Every single teacher that he had, okay. the only person who For isn't, that we saw, yeah, yeah uh, in the in the movie, yeah. you know, uh, Rue McClanahan was in it. By the way, she's the biology teacher. I just love that she's teaching them about the facts of life. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but she's blind. You have the guy who, you know, oh, welcome. It made me the man I am today. He's missing legs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, that one was really obvious. I got that on the first time. Yeah. Uh, the fact that the uh, Michael Ironside's character is missing an arm. Yep. Uh, the only adult that isn't scarred who talks to Rico is uh, his dad. And he's wrong. And he's whole. Uh, and so there's there's that aspect of it. There's the... Um, the fierce egalitarianism of it all. Everybody showers together. Everybody talks yep. together and stuff like that. Everybody but fights. Nobody quits. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, but also you have that he is the rich boy, um, the boy of privilege, whereas Dizzy is not. Um, you you had that aspect to it as well. Uh, and then you had the fact that Carl, his psychic friend, um, never used his powers for good. <laughs> ever. He sent the ferret to go attack his mom. He used his computer skills to make fun of Johnny Rico's uh, computer scores um, and bring it up so that everybody could see it. Um, he uh, he moves in on Dizzy when she's been rejected, um, you know, and, and on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, so, like... Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that's 
there's there's some potent anti-intellectualism going on there. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, and then there's the would you like to know more stuff? And of course, you know, the internet's very nascent at that time and stuff like that. Yeah. But the big fucking eagle that comes out, the fact that, you know, the person, you know, they basically came up with island hopping as a theory mm-hmm. instead of like full frontal assault. Um, and, you know, he steps down and just, the you know, a, a criminal was caught today sentencing tonight, you know, and, and yeah. very much, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I loved the symbolism of it. Uh, like the fact that, you know, they're all wearing gray, mm, very Nazi, yeah. you know, they had the, the, basically the, uh, neo-Nazi use of suspenders. Yeah. Um, you had, uh, you know, the, the, the different people who would help and yet, Rico, because he keeps embodying the ideals that he's not sure he wants yet, he keeps getting promoted mm-hmm. um, onward and onward and onward. Um, by the way, that scene where you talked about last time where they're fighting with the merchant marines, that's done in in the ship where he's, you yeah. know, they're fighting with the Navy. Um, and by the way, you know, uh, his, his former girlfriend, girlfriend slash former girlfriend, um, you know, she's getting through and accelerating in all of her uh, her abilities and stuff like that. But she absolutely wanted that kind of a thing, mm-hmm. whereas he didn't know what he wanted. And so he yeah. you know, became a ground pounder. So, yeah. And, and then everybody cheering with It's Afraid. Yeah. Um, oh, the, yeah. I got that one yeah. on the first viewing. The, the corporal. It's Afraid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I looked at it. I, yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. What's, mm-hmm. what's remarkable is there's cross pollination or, or or convergent evolution there mm-hmm. because you know putting his putting his hand on the brain bug it is afraid and everybody cheering is such a Warhammer 40k moment too oh yeah is, which is, is also such satire. a is such a loathe the Zeno hate the Zeno kill right. the Zeno right you know uh, uh, absolutely I find that travel closes the mind admirably yeah kind of you know sure uh, uh, take on that but you know also the the, the Mormons uh, you know oh, yeah how, well that's know, that's that was... actually that's actually out of the book the Mormon nice. Mormon colony okay being being attacked is actually okay. is a beat out of the book okay but the fact that the bugs are sucking people's brains away yeah. the fact that you know that's how they're gonna learn about you is by literally digesting your brain mm-hmm. um and just like uh, so many aspects of it is such a fun movie, but at the same time, so many aspects of it are so clearly, like you said, the the Riefenstahl shots. Oh yeah, you know it's so very clearly a a satire, um, and the symbolism of it is is very very rich. You know, it kind of reminds me of when uh, I had a girlfriend who loved um, uh, horror films. Okay. And that got me started on, you know, analyzing yeah. a couple of horror films yeah, yeah. for our podcast. Yeah. Um because I don't really care about horror films, but it's a genre. Yeah. And genre is rich with symbolism. So yeah. this was another one. Uh and uh, you know, just and also the glorification of nuclear weapons. Oh yeah. And the fact that tactical nukes are no big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, and and also, you know, bad intelligence. Yeah. Uh, by the military and stuff like that. And again, that that captain also ends up being a scarred and wounded person. Yeah. And so and once Rico and Carmen are both scarred, then they can be friends. Mm-hmm. And now they've earned their stripes literally because <clears throat> there's stripes on their body. Yeah. You know, and, and stuff like that. Um, so it just yeah, I, I really, really like it still as a movie. Um, 
I don't remember the second one. I do remember the the third or the fourth one. I remember the last one that I watched. Um, and it was so very clearly a a Christian apology movie um, because it was all about faith. The whole thing was all about faith. It was very ham-fisted and about faith. And I was like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I don't necessarily recommend you watch the, any of the others. They're not they're not okay. worth it. It's kind of like the other Highlander movies. <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, wait, stop. Yeah, there are other Highlander movies. No, there aren't. Yeah. No. Um, Mario Van Peebles got paid to no, do one. No, So. No. Uh, but nope. <laughs> didn't happen. So, but, uh, yeah, I think that, um, friend of the show, Bishop O'Connell and I <laughs> have, have, have made a pact that we will never acknowledge that there were ever any other Highlander films made because there weren't. Okay. Not even the one with never. Adrian Paul where they passed the, no, the sword to him. Nope. No, no okay. TV series. Okay, yeah. That's that's the thing. Well, then you had but, the movie that bridged the gap yeah, between no, that. No, no, no. Okay. Gap. No. Yeah. No, no. All right. But uh so yeah, I really I really liked it. Uh it, right right on down to just the uh the fact that they had artillery bugs and oh, yeah. you know then they had fire bugs. Yeah. And you know, Rico again, he had to lose people in order to, you know, grow up and stuff like that. Um yeah, I th- I thought was, yeah, I thought it was, it was fantastic film. Um and I think it was very much like you said, Verhoeven looking at it and going, "Well, this is clearly fascism, and I need to, I need to uh, pan it." Yeah. And and given what you told me about his past, that makes absolute sense that he would react that way. Yeah. So. So. There we go. Cool. That's. I'm that's convinced that that's that particular yeah. comparison. Hmm. I like it. I like it. Okay. So what what takeaways now that we're now that we're at this point in the conversation? What mm-hmm. what takeaways have you got? Uh, do you think. You know, I I do want to. Uh, maybe this is the takeaway: the opening classroom scene. Okay. If you listen to the lecture that Michael Ironsides is giving, yes, it is absolutely like the pointer scene to the ideology of the movie that he is trying to pan. Yeah. Um, and I really, I've considered using just that scene uh, mm-hmm. when I taught government. Really? Cause, yeah, because I like to find movie clips and stuff that that are offbeat or or just not what you would expect. You know, uh, you know, obviously you, get, you do the Dirt Farmer one from uh, Holy Grail. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. But uh I didn't vote for it. Yeah. I didn't vote for King. Yeah. Uh but uh, you know, I, I've thought of showing that particular scene. Um if Do I ever it. teach government. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I, I got it. no problem doing that. Um, God knows I will. Yeah. But uh, just the the you know, I wonder what the fathers of Hiroshima would say. Well, nothing. They're all dead. Exactly. And violence is the only authority. And you're I'm just like Wow. Okay. I've all, got all and, political power is derived from the barrel of a gun. Yeah, you know. I'm like that's fascism, baby. You know, and so when I, you know, yeah. So yeah, that's 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 I really like that, and I think that's the the thesis statement of his whole movie, uh, which apparently was not the thesis statement of the book. No. So, uh, yeah. So that's that's what I pulled. So, um, what are you reading? What uh, what do you want to recommend? Well, I'm working on reading Dune. Okay. Um, I, right. I have in the process of working on this one. 
um, I I have determined that uh, we need to we need to educate you on some on some literary science fiction. Yes, and and a little bit of the history of the genre. And um, I think I figured out uh, an, an angle on that uh, that that will work actually for the conceit of this podcast. Cool. And again, it's comparing the the book to the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the book was written in the 1960s. The film is so 80s, it fucking hurts. Oh, so you're doing that one, not the John Hurt one? Yeah, no. Oh, okay. No, and and I will mention the uh-huh. sci-fi miniseries. Yeah. Uh, but but the, the the one that sticks in the popular imagination the mm-hmm. most is is the Lynch film. Yes, it does. And And part of what inspired me to do this was listening to us talking about tv series that should have ended differently mm-hmm. and you know john lynch and and uh, uh david lynch david lynch sorry yeah. and uh twin peaks yeah is is yeah what what made me go you know <laughs> lynch did dune and that was a head trip yep yep okay i think i have an idea for yeah so nice. so that nice. that'll be that'll be your, the next phase of your literary uh education i like it i like it and then in your broader genre uh, education. I got to do something about Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Probably something having to do with the fact that Americans could never make it. Oh, I like this. It's it's a decidedly British. British. I like yes. it already. I like it already. So yeah, cool. So yeah, but right now I'm I'm reading Dune in preparation to school you on it. Um, and I do. I will say I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was visionary for a number of reasons that I'll, I don't want to spoil right now. Mm-hmm. And as a space opera, uh, it now reads as pretty dated, but it is uh-huh. still a, an entertaining read. Okay. So how about you? Uh, you know, I don't have anything off the top of my head, quite honestly. Um, as far as reading goes, uh, so I would say this: I have started watching Supernatural. Yeah, I, I saw you posted about that. Yeah, and so it's uh, it, it's fun. Yeah. Um. It it basically is a role playing game put on TV. It's a hunter campaign. Yeah. On TV. Yeah. yeah. Like you said. I don't know said. if you ever played Hunter, but it's no. I played Witch Hunter, which is oh, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. kind of cool because it's uh, set in the 1600s. Nice. So in America. Okay. And so yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. But, the, yeah. Uh, Hunter. Hunter the Reckoning. Okay. Um. Or Hunter the Vigil. Is uh-huh. The later edition of it is is set the same universe as Vampire, nice. Mage, Werewolf. Nice. So yeah. But yeah, it's it's a hunter campaign on on yeah on TV. So that one's so. that one's fun. Um, I don't know if I would recommend watching it just yet, quite honestly. Um, just okay. you know, it is is first first season jitters. Okay, yeah. You know, you're yeah. there's a little too much ex- exposition of like every time they they talk about a thing, it's like they explain it to each other and they both already know it. I'm like, okay, guys, like who would be watching this as a <laughs> like yeah but i get it like as a casual fan you do need that kind of exposition yeah but yeah it's Uh, you know here's 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 what i will recommend okay start binging the uh winter soldier and falcon falcon and the winter soldier Yeah. because my god like it is so dense and rich with it, it basically is taking on the twin ideas of racism and trauma 
um, in each character. Uh, and it is phenomenal. Okay. And and the amount of white privilege uh, that John Walker... I mean, that actor deserves all the love in the world for doing such a good job of making you hate sim- him. sympathize okay. and hate. Okay. Uh, John Walker. I mean, okay. he's doing a great job with him. All right. He really is. So okay. and and there's so much good fan service in that series. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I I would Very say cool. I would say watch that. We're 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 still working our way through uh, WandaVision. Oh, fantastic. And fantastic. and I'm I'm I mean, it's been long enough that I've the mm-hmm. ending has already been spoiled for me. I know sure. I know I don't know all of the details, but I know broad brush, you know, where it's yeah. going, but like I can't wait to get there. Mm-hmm. And my wife mm-hmm. doesn't read the nerd, comics. Yeah, nerd. she doesn't. Well, she yeah. doesn't. She doesn't read nerd stuff on the internet, so mm-hmm. she she isn't exposed to spoilers. Oh, okay. So she's just like, okay, wait, hold on. Yeah. So that's a different mm. living room. Right. Right. <laughs> wait. <laughs> yeah. How is she and, able to change reality? Yeah. That's literally her power. Oh, that's that's yeah. not even that's no no right. She, she okay. Totally. She she. She totally got that. Okay. But the 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 details of the surrealism uh-huh, uh-huh. were the things you're just like, okay, stop. So yeah. hold on. So last episode, she was she she was she was pregnant. Right. And now this episode, okay. Right. And, and and piecing, you know, and and doing the piecing together. Yeah. Of like, okay, yeah, that's that's hinky. And then we got to the point where we jump. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, but, but then, then the, the episode where we go outside town. Yes. And everything. And then, and then the meta gets really heavy. Yes. Because I'm rewatching mm-hmm. the first two episodes from like I was watching the first two episodes. Yep. They're actually yep. watching it on a TV. Yep. Yeah. Like the, the level of. Yeah, that's wild of meta in in that series is absolutely amazing Mm -hmm. and it is my concerted opinion that the writers at least so far we're we're halfway through Mm -hmm. the writers have not tripped on anything yet nor will they and and they're gonna knock you sideways it has all been very tightly constructed and they did an amazing because this is the kind of meta that if you miss something right it falls it's, apart it's going to be glaring and it's all going to fall apart and you're not going to be able to follow it anymore you're not yeah. going to want to follow it anymore because like no you just shot it in the foot it's it's like a swiss watch yeah it's so perfectly put together so well, yeah, good no, it's amazing good i look forward to hearing your uh your review of it when you're done with it yeah it's gonna it's gonna pay off yeah all right, cool. Well, uh, where can people find you on the social medias? People can find me on social media at E.H. Blaylock on Twitter and as Mr. Blaylock on Instagram and TikTok. And they can find the two of us collectively and they can shout at both of us at once. Uh, if you think our opinions about Verhoeven are completely wrong uh, or you totally agree, we'd like to hear that too. Uh, you can find us at geek history time on the twitter machine and where can you be found well uh first off just real quick would like to shout out to our listeners uh we are currently at uh, over 700 close to 800 at one point we peaked in the 950s 
Um, so whatever we did to lose those people, come back. We're done with Batman. Please. Yeah. Um, we swear. Yeah. Pretty uh, much forever. We're not we're not doing the cowl but again. Having talked about that, uh <laughs> shout out to our Irish, Canadian, uh, uh United Kingdom, German and Mexican listeners. Uh thank you all. Tell your friends, have a listening party like they used to do with uh radio edits or radio plays. Uh but you can find me at Da Harmony on the Twitter and on the Instagram. Uh you can also find me every Tuesday night on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns, and you can find me on uh, Excelsior Gaming on YouTube. Uh, hit subscribe, watch it. It's a lot of fun. Myself and a Scotsman making fun of each other over a, a fun little game called uh, Marvel Strike Force. Very cool. Um, and then, of course, uh, on this particular thing, if you found us by accident, thank you. Check around. It's a buffet. If you didn't like the asparagus, you're going to love the walnuts. If you didn't like that, you're going to like the shrimp. If you didn't like that, there's soft serve. Like, there's just something for everybody. Um, so hit subscribe. Uh, rate, review, give us that five star that you know that we deserve because we put a lot of effort into this. Because we're so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s.